Welcome to the Sozo Church Podcast. Our desire is to see every person know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference. We hope this message inspires and encourages you today. Enjoy. Really, there's there's two headings. I'm, I, I usually give you three points. I'm a three-point shooter like Steph Curry, but usually I do that. I'm going to give you two kind of points today, and really they're not points or propositions as much as headings that I want to unpack just a little bit of content to you. The first one is this. Write this down. The treasure of the kingdom. The treasure of the kingdom. Matthew chapter 13 is, is a really interesting passage of scripture. Jesus is gathered his followers and uh, so, some people in a crowd, and he's teaching them about the kingdom of God. He's teaching them uh, about what the kingdom is like you'll see this throughout scriptures but in Matthew 13 there there's a lot in there regarding it uh, 126 times Jesus or in the New Testament we see uh, the scriptures talking about the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven um, this was the message that Jesus preached Jesus preached the kingdom uh, he preached the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God. He'd say the kingdom of God is near or the kingdom of God has come. And then he'd go on to explain it many, many times. He'd say the kingdom of God is like this or like this. So he came down to heaven not just to, to, to go to the cross and die on the cross for our sins, not just to be resurrected so that we can be resurrected to, to new life, but he spent a, a, a large portion of, of his ministry going around teaching people what the kingdom of God is like so that they could wrap their minds around the, what the kingdom values and what the principles of the kingdoms would the kingdom would be about and so uh, a lot of people they ask the question well, what is that the kingdom it simply is this when you see Jesus talking about the kingdom he's talking about what um, when God reigns in a person's life or in or in a, a nation's life or in a group of people's life when God is reigning when he sits on the throne of their life on the throne of their community and he's ruling and reigning this is what it should look like this is what it will be uh, about and so he would go on and he would share these stories and these parables. Parable simply means to throw alongside. So it'd be like an anecdote or an illustration or a fictional story thrown alongside a truth or a principle. And Jesus would do this uh, when he would talk about the kingdom. He would tell these little parables to illustrate and to teach the, the, the principle around what the kingdom was about. And so he does that in this story. And he tells this, this amazing little parable. He says, guys, this is what the kingdom is like. You want to know what it's like? You want to know what whenever God rules and reigns, whenever he's leading a group of people? Do you want to know what it's like? It's like this. It's like whenever a, a, a man stumbles across uh, this, this treasure that was hidden in the field, that other people didn't see the value of uh, that was hidden in the field, but he stumbles across it, and in his joy, he, he buries it, he hides it, and then he goes and he sells everything that he has to come back, not just to purchase the treasure, but to purchase the entire field that the treasure is in, just so he could get the treasure. And it's amazing that he says that. As soon as I read that the, the other day, I started thinking back to, now we don't really do this anymore, but I started thinking back in the day whenever I'd go Christmas shopping. I don't know if anybody's ever done this. This is, this is so shady. But back in the day, I would be like Christmas shopping and I would see something that I like for myself. And y'all don't do that, do y'all? Okay, uh, just me. Okay, whatever. But I'd see something that I like, and, but I was shopping for my wife and or at the time for my girlfriend and I, I would see something that I like for myself and so I'm thinking all right I only have this amount of money um, and uh, I want to make sure I don't spend all my money on just this item so um, rather than um, buying it right now I'm going to hide it y'all never done this like now you have people hold it but you ever been in those places like we can't hold that sir well what do you do you don't put it back if you wear a size medium which I'm a small I'm not really I'm a little bit larger than that but we'll just say that by faith hey in Jesus name but you see you just have your small and it's the last small left 
What do you do? If they won't hold it, put it on hold for you, what do you do? You hide it. You put it back there, that hidden treasure. You put it back behind there so nobody else gets it. Anybody ever done that before? Am I the only one? Yes, look at y'all. Y'all like, amen, pastor. Amen. I do it all the time. Hidden treasure. Oh, man, I love it. I, that's, that's what I thought of whenever I read this. But the, the traditional interpretation or understanding of this passage has historically gone something like this. This was at least mine. This may have been your experience before. Maybe you're familiar with this parable. But tra- traditionally, the surface understanding of this is, is this, is that Jesus is the man in the parable. Like he's talking about himself. This is what I used to believe it meant. That Jesus is the man and that we are the treasure, or excuse me, that Jesus is the man, that we, um, that, that we are the man, Uh, Jesus is the treasure. We are the man in the story. And that whenever we see Jesus as the treasure, we will sell everything or we'll get rid of everything so that we can just have Jesus. That's what I always thought it meant. That Jesus is the treasure, that we are the person in the story, and that we will get rid of anything that God wants us to get rid of so that we can have a relationship with Jesus. I grew up thinking that that was the interpretation, is that the kingdom of God or, or the treasure of the kingdom is this relationship with God, this relationship with Jesus. And that if I had things that were in my life that were keeping me from Jesus, then I should get rid of those things so that I could have a relationship with him. And that when I truly see the value of him, when I truly see the, that Jesus is the greatest treasure, that I'll, I'll get rid of anything in my life so that I can have him. And I always believed that that was, that was what the passage meant. But it's actually, that's not the right understanding of this passage. Um, the kingdom of God, think about this. Let me just debunk this for a moment. Number one, you can't find the kingdom. Right? You can't. The kingdom cannot be found. You don't find the kingdom. You and I, we don't find God. God finds us. A lost person doesn't find God as much as God finds the lost person. Think about even whenever uh, uh, Adam and Genesis, Adam doesn't go and find God. He's lost and God comes and finds him. Where are you, Adam, right? God comes to us. This is, this is not a sinner finding a savior as much as it is a savior finding a sinner, right? You can't find the kingdom. Uh, I think about even in my own life, whenever I was lost and I was away from God, I did not come to God. Like, I did not have a day where I'm just like, I, I, I'm just making a decision. I'm going to come to Jesus and give my life to Jesus. That's not the gospel. The gospel is that Jesus comes to us. That through his grace and mercy, when we are dead in our sins, when we are completely blind, he comes to us. He initiates it. So you don't find the kingdom. The kingdom comes to you, right? Uh, second is this, is you can't hide the kingdom. The kingdom is too big to hide, Right? In the story, the, the man finds a treasure and then he hides it. You can't hide the kingdom of God. It's too big uh, to hide. And then here's the last one. You can't buy the kingdom. You can't. There's no amount of money that you can buy into a relationship with God. It's just, it's too robust for us to ever come up with some way that we can earn or buy the kingdom. And so there has to be a deeper understanding, a hidden understanding, rather than just Jesus is the treasure and I should be willing to give up anything to get Jesus in my life. It has to be much deeper than that, and it is. And this is what it really is. The field is the world. The field is the world. This is the true understanding. The field is the world. The man is Jesus, and you are the treasure. I am the treasure. You are the treasure. The principle that I think Jesus is trying to teach here is this, is the parable isn't about you or me sacrificing for the kingdom. The parable is about Jesus, the king, sacrificing for the kingdom. That is what the parable is really all about. The parable isn't about you paying the ultimate price for that which you treasure. The parable is about Jesus paying the ultimate price for that which he treasures. So what does he treasure? He treasures people. 
That's it. The kingdom of God places value on people. People are the greatest asset in the kingdom of God. This is throughout Jesus' teachings. It's throughout the Bible. You see that people are the treasure of heaven. You and I, the people that we passed, the people this morning at 5.45 a.m., I'm driving down to Visadero, and I'm looking in all the little cutouts for the openings where people go into the stores, to to all the storefronts, the little area where the door is, all the homeless men and women that are sleeping in those. Jesus, they are the treasure of heaven. That's what God treasures. God does not treasure buildings. I pray that one day we own a building in Jesus' name. But that is not the treasure of heaven. Buildings will fall apart. Buildings will decay. Buildings will be torn down. But people, people are the treasure of, the hev- of heaven, the treasure of the kingdom of God. We see this. I love in Deuteronomy chapter 7. It says this, for you are a holy people. This is for the people of Israel. For you are a holy people who belong to the Lord your God. Of all the people on earth, the Lord your God has chosen you to be his own special treasure. Now we know that through Jesus, through the price that he's paid, now it's not just Israel, but now even Gentiles, all of us, we can now be be lumped into that category that we all are the treasure of the kingdom. We're the treasure of God. When you get a chance, read Luke 16. It's amazing. Um, it, It contrasts false riches and true riches, or false treasure and true treasure. And he says this in in that particular passage in Luke 16. Jesus says that the false riches of this world are money, is money and possessions. It's the things that we own, the things that we accumulate. He says, that's actually, that's not true riches. That's false riches. It doesn't mean that they're bad. Your house isn't bad. Your car is not bad. Your clothes aren't bad. But they're just, they're not the true riches. They may be be riches in the culture and the kingdom of this world. But in his economy, in his kingdom, it's not the true riches, riches, he says. But if you go on, you see the true riches are are the treasures that we store up in heaven, it says in Luke chapter 16. So let me ask you this. What are the treasures that you and I can store up in heaven? He's saying if you invest in certain things, you can actually bring those with you. Now, what on this earth do you know of that we can bring to heaven one day when we close our eyes on this earth and we open our eyes there? Like I've never seen a hearse with a U-Haul behind it. Never seen it before, right? There's nothing that we can bring on this earth. There's no, there's no bank account. There's no amount of money. There's no house. There's no car. There's, there's nothing that we can bring. The only thing that you and I can store up in heaven as treasures are the people that we impact with what God has given us because people are the treasure in the kingdom. First Timothy chapter six, I won't read it because of the sake of time, but again, he talks about true treasures and Paul tells Timothy, he says this, he says, uh, true treasure or true riches is what you invest in the people that you will see in heaven one day. Read it. It's an unbelievable passage of scripture where he says, he, Paul actually tells Timothy as a good pastor, I command you to teach people not to rely on the riches of this world, but to rely on God who faithfully provides all of your needs and that you would invest and you'd leverage your resources and your money to be able to invest in the only treasure that really matters, the true treasure, which are people. I love that. I wrote this down in my, uh, in my journal this morning. The value of something is determined by what someone is willing to pay for it. The value of something is determined by what someone is willing to pay for it. When I wrote that down, I began to think about, okay, if people are the treasure their value is determined by what someone would be willing to pay for them. I begin to really just process that in my mind, and my mind went back to some photographs that I saw from, from years ago in a dark period in our, in our history as a nation during the slavery era. And I saw a picture of a slave. There was actually three or four different slaves on auction blocks. And it was the saddest, one of the saddest pictures I've ever seen in my life. 
And I began to read this article around that, and it was talking about how, the, I mean, think about this. Humans that were sold in slavery would stand, many times would stand on auction blocks, and there would be someone that would determine their value based on their features. I mean, it's one of the saddest times in our nation's history. But the person, listen, the person's value was determined not by the person selling it, by what, but, but by what the person buying that person was willing to pay for that person. And that's unbelievable when you think about that, but in a very spiritual way. Now, that was a very dark time, but I'll tell you one of the brightest times in human history is this, is that when we realize that the scriptures tell us that we are all slaves, that in Romans it says we're slaves to sin and to death. And if you can get the picture of you and I being on an auction block and in and, and, and a place where maybe we don't see our value or where other people don't see our value, here's how we know that we're valued and we know how highly we're valued is that Jesus doesn't just pay for us with silver and gold, First Peter says, but with his very own life. And so the, the value of our life is determined by what someone's willing to pay for it. Jesus was willing to, here's what he's willing to do. Say, you come off the blocks and I'll take your place on the blocks. This is the gospel, is that the value of something is determined by what someone is willing to pay for it. Um, I remember this story that uh, one of my pastors, he told uh, about uh, the church that I used to serve at. He said that um, they were in a, a board meeting with some of the pastors and uh, there was a lady that showed up at the church office at the ministry center, center and, uh, and she needed prayer. She wanted someone to, she wanted to meet with a pastor for prayer. And so uh, my, my pastor, Pastor Robert, comes out of that meeting and he goes and sees this lady and this lady was, uh, she just looked like she was going through a really hard time. She was wearing rags. I mean, she didn't smell the best, he said. It was a, it was a kind of rough situation. And, um, but he had been noticing that some of the pastors in that meeting were just, they were kind of prideful and kind of, they, they, were, they were showing some preferential treatment towards some of the wealthier people in their church. And it bothered Pastor Robert. And Pastor Robert saw this lady and he thought, you know what? This is going to be a moment where I'm going to show her some value. And we're going to love her and, and bless her. But I'm also going to teach these pastors a lesson. I love Pastor Robert. He's so gangster. So he goes, he, he sees the lady out there. He comes back in and he tells the pastors at that table. He said, guys, he goes, there's a lady out here in the, in the ministry center. Um, and I'm, I'm going to tell you, she's worth a lot. This lady, I, I, I mean, she is, I'm not going to tell you how much she's worth, but she's worth a whole lot. And I need someone that can, can pray with her. And quickly this pastor's like, oh, I'll pray for her. I'll pray. I'd love to meet with her, whatever. And so, um, so they start getting ready to go out there and meet with her and everything. And then they meet with her and, and or right before they met with her, pastor says, now she's not going to look like she has a lot. And that's kind of what she does. She's going to look like she doesn't really have anything. Uh, that's kind of the thing she likes to kind of put that on so that people don't take advantage of her. But I'm telling you, she's worth more than you can even imagine. And all these guys, like they, they get out there, they're like pulling out their business cards. They're like, just like, just let me pray for you, sister. Here's my cell phone number. That's when you know you like go in the distance, right? Here's my cell phone. You can call me if you need anything at all. After they leave, Pastor Robert looked at this guy. He says, guys, he goes, you're never going to believe it. You want me to tell you how much she's worth? And they're like leaning in. And he goes, she is worth the blood of Jesus. And he said that in that moment, all those pastors, their faces just kind of like sunk down like, gosh, we are losers. <laughs> I love it. You know, the only reason why we ever do this whole legacy offering thing is this, and I want you to hear my heart, is, is, is that we really believe that the people in this city are the treasure of the kingdom of God. I remember being getting dressed for work 
in 2015 or 16 and 2016. And I heard the most random phrase when I was praying about San Francisco, about coming here and starting a church. I heard this phrase, there's gold in them hills. <laughs> I was like, wait, what? It's like, I know I'm from the South, but that's pretty, that's pretty like, like, like redneck right there. That's, there's gold in them hills, you know? I was like, what is that? What is that? I, don't, I didn't know what that was. I think that was maybe from a show from years ago. I don't know. But I heard that phrase. And I began to just think about that. And I thought about, you know, the, the gold rush here and how people rushed to this area to come and to, to, to really pillage this area, you know. And I think about the tech rush that's really just another form of gold that people have rushed here to come and to take from this city, not necessarily to contribute to it, but to take from it. Many people, that come here just to build their resume and to get certain companies on their, you know, on their resume and stuff like that. If that's anybody here, no harm, no foul. But, but a lot of people come to this city and have come to this region to, to do what? To take from it. And I begin to think about that thought. And I felt like the Holy Spirit said to me, there, there is gold in the hills of San Francisco, but it's not what people think it is. There is treasure in the hills of San Francisco and in this region, but it's not, it's not money to be made. It's people to come into a relationship with me. There is treasure. And I had just a sense in my heart, like God said, do you want to know what I care about more than anything else, Jason? I care about the people that do not know me in that city or the people that think that I've forgotten about them. They are my treasure. And I, I just kind of res, just kind of resolved that in my heart and said, God, I pray you'd help me to treasure the people in that city like you treasure them. That you'd help me to love the people in the city of San Francisco the way that you love them. And I, I, I left and, and, and went to an elders meeting with the church that I was at. And, uh, and we're I'm meeting with these three or four elders and we're talking about this church that's in our hearts that we feel like God's given us vision for. And at the end of it, one of the elders said, uh, I think we all ought to pray for Jason. And so they, the elders lay hands on me and they start praying for me. I can't make this stuff up. This is crazy. This was the same day that moment happened that I'm telling you about where there's gold in them hills. This guy is praying for me. His name's Bobby Bogard. He used to be one of our overseers. He's praying for me and the other elders are around me. And in the middle of his prayer, he says, God, he goes, I just thank you that there is gold in the hills of San Francisco and it's people. They're a treasure. Your treasure is there waiting for someone to come and to discover. They're hidden in the hills of San Francisco. I'm telling you, I sense such peace. There you go. I sense such peace about what God had called us to do. It was God's little way of confirming that there is treasure here to be found and to be willing to do whatever. And I felt like in my own heart, God said, now, Jason, the question is this, what are you willing to give up to reach people that have not been reached yet with the gospel? What are you willing to sacrifice so that you can prioritize the true treasure, which is the people that are in this city? And I feel like for us, God spoke to us to, to give a certain amount financially towards this church. I feel like God also said for us to, to sell our possessions to come here and to give at different times, but not just resources, to give our time, to give our best talents, to give our very best to you, to this city, not just to our church, but to, to the kingdom of God that is being built here. Because it's not just about Sozo Church. It's about God's kingdom being established and people People coming to faith in Jesus Christ in this city. It's about us being a blessing to people in this city that will never come to this church because they are the treasure of heaven. And I really felt like God wanted me to share that little piece with you. But then the second part is this. If that's the treasure of heaven, I think this is the second thing that you see in Jesus' teaching. There's a treasure of our heart. There's a treasure in our heart. So there's the treasure of the kingdom, which is God's heart. But then there's, as humans, we have, we have this treasure in, 
and our heart. Matthew 6, Jesus said like this, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Um, there's a misquote that people say all the time. They say, where your heart is, there your treasure will be also. But this is a, a, a wrong understanding of the text. And the, the, where you place those two phrases really determines a lot uh, of what you're trying to unpack there. But I love this because the idea that some people believe is that, uh, that where your heart is, your desire and your love lies, there you're going to invest. That's what people believe, that if that's truly got your heart, then you're going to invest there. But that's not what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying this, wherever you put your treasure, your heart will begin to follow that place. That's what Jesus is teaching. He's saying that if, wherever you begin to make investment, that's where your heart is going to move towards. If you think about that from a really practical standpoint, listen, if you don't care about stock in Apple, cryptocurrency, Facebook, Uber, or even if it's CBD, whatever. If you don't care about any of those things, not saying you should invest in any of those, but if you don't care about those things, but you begin to invest your treasure there, the most interesting thing will happen. You'll start downloading all these apps to follow those companies. You'll start looking on the stock market. You'll start, you don't even, you've never read the newspaper before in your life, but you're gonna start getting the newspaper. You're gonna start looking up stuff and searching stuff, why? It's not because you ever treasured those companies but it's because you begin to put your resources in those companies, now your heart is beginning to follow those companies. And I just think that in a very practical sense, this is what I encourage you with. If you look at the scriptures and you find out in God's kingdom, what does he value? Widows, orphans, the poor, the lost, the hungry, those in prison, those that are, that are hospitalized, that, 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 that are bedridden, you begin to see the heart of God, the heart of the king in his kingdom. And watch this. Even if you don't have a heart for those things, practically what you and I can do is say, you know what? If that's what the king values, I'm going to put my treasure there and let my heart follow my treasure there. If you don't have a heart for the poor, you know what you should probably do? You should give to the poor. If you don't have a heart for widows, you know what you should do? You should give towards widows. If you don't have a heart for the hungry, you know what you should do? You should start feeding the hungry. And what I promise you is this. Eventually, God will soften your heart, and you'll no longer have just the heart of a subject, but you'll have the heart of the king. It's, it's when you begin to make the investments there, your heart will begin to follow those very things. Um, I, I think about this. Uh, with James Lick Middle School. I, I never even knew of James Lick Middle School. I think Nate is the one that told me about this school and being a potential venue for us. I didn't know principals. I didn't know administrators. I didn't know the, uh, the custodians. I didn't know anybody here. And to be honest, because I didn't know them, I didn't have the capacity to really care for them or to value them. But what we did is we came here and we started investing resources into the school and the teacher's lounge, little gift bags for some of the teachers and doing things like that. And all of a sudden, all of a sudden, my heart began to, to be softened for the families of this school. Now, whenever I drive through Noe Valley and I see those kids at around 3 o'clock, they rush out of this school and they're walking around this neighborhood. When I see them, saw them two weeks ago, I'm telling you what, I just begin to think, what, I wonder what her story is. I wonder what his story is. I wonder if they're one of the families that we helped last year. I begin to think like that. Why? Never cared about it before, but as soon as we start investing in this place, all of a sudden my heart has moved towards it. 
I want to help this school. I want to help the families of the school. Why? Because we started investing here first. You don't wait till you care about something to invest in it. Invest first and then let your feelings catch up. Let your heart catch up. And, and I'm telling you what happens is, is when you leverage your treasure for what he treasures the most, he will begin to replace your heart with his heart. Don't you want the heart of the king? I, I want the heart of the king for our church and I want it in my own Life. And here's the last little thing I'll, I'll tell you is this is I think that the proof that we have the king's heart is that we hold the king's values. The proof that we have the king's heart is that we hold the king's values. My prayer is that bigger than just a legacy offering. My prayer is that our church, young church, two years old, that every year as our church gets older and older and older, that God will help us understand the things that he values the most the people that he values the most. And he'll create opportunities for us to be able to leverage our resources, to leave a legacy, to make a difference in this city and around the world. Now, as we begin to kind of wrap up this message, I've taken enough time. Let me just read you this one last scripture because I want this always to be the guiding verse for us when we talk about generosity. Second Corinthians chapter nine, verse seven says this, each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. I love this. This for me is probably one of the greatest verses when it comes to giving, and I want it to always be the guidance, the guiding kind of parameters for us and the motivation around our heart is this, is that the reason we started telling you about legacy offering weeks ago is because I didn't want anyone to feel pressure. I wanted you to pray and ask God, God, what would you have me give? I never want you ever to feel pressure. If anyone ever, if any pastor, any church ever makes you feel pressure to give, run the other way. They're not legit. You should never give because you feel pressured or you feel like you have to do something. Giving has always been, God, we get to do this. We don't have to do this. That's why one of our values is generosity is our privilege. We don't have to do this. We get to do this, Lord. The moment you feel like you have to do something, it's become religious duty. God is not pleased with religious duty. He's pleased when we operate in faith and obedience towards what he has called us to do. And so we don't give reluctantly. We don't do it out under compulsion. We do it with a spirit of joy. We do it with a spirit of joy. Remember the parable. The man sold everything that he had in joy so that he could go and buy the field. You know what it's telling us about? Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, it says, For the joy set before him, this is about Jesus, he did what? He endured the cross. So even our sacrifice should be done with a spirit of joy. It should be done in a place of, God, I get to do this. God, I get to sow into people's lives. I get to make a difference in city impact. I get to make a difference in mobilized love. God, I get to do these things. Let that always be the guiding, um, the, the guiding voice in our lives. Um, I want you to put this on the screen really quick. And I want us just to say this together as a church as kind of a mantra in the area of generosity. And I'll, I'll say it first and we can say it together. I'll give generously as the Lord leads me not reluctantly, but joyfully. I love that statement. Would you say this with me? Count of three. One, two, three. I'll give generously as the Lord leads me, not reluctantly, but joyfully. I love that. I'll give. That, that's what I'll give. I'll give generously as the Lord leads me, not as Jason leads me, not as a church leads me, but as the Lord leads me, not reluctantly, but joyfully. Why? Because God blesses those that give with a spirit of generosity and a spirit of joy. Um, I want to I want to do this. I want to play this video for you really quick. Um, I'll give you some context for it first. You guys know Nate. He preached last week, which didn't he do a great job? What a phenomenal job! <clears throat> you know Nate, uh, Kayla. She's one of our worship leaders here, and phenomenal couple. You may not know their whole backstory though. I won't give you all of it, but I'll give you just a little detail of it. 
these guys lived in, in Florida, in Bradenton, Florida. And, uh, and they, they lived there and they worked on staff at a church, great church, a massive church, reaching a lot of people, making a huge difference in the, uh, the state of Florida. And they had really great jobs as pastors and worship leaders there. I mean, they had a really smooth setup, very comfortable. Life was easy. Life was, I'm sure they had their challenges, but life was pretty easy if you ask them. They did their honeymoon here years ago. And in their heart, when they did their honeymoon in San Francisco, they just felt like, man, if we could ever do something in San Francisco to serve people there, um, we, we would love to do it. Fast forward years later, they felt like the Lord spoke to them and said, to sell your possessions, resign for, from your job, and move in faith to the city of San Francisco with no jobs. Move in faith to San Francisco because they weren't moving here for jobs. They were moving here for people. They were moving here for you. They were moving here for the treasure, the true treasure of the kingdom. They sold their possessions, which there are many people who could tell this story, many people that did the same thing. But they sold their possessions, left their jobs, left all those things to come here and to, to be a part of this church. Why? Because, because they care about people. Phenomenal little story. Uh, I'm going to get you to turn your attention to the screen. And afterwards, I'm going to lead you in a moment and we'll have our legacy offering together. Yeah, I remember being in a, in a few different settings where we would talk to people who lived in San Francisco while we were in the city on our honeymoon and whether it be at coffee shops or on the on the trolley because we were tourists or on the bus or whatever it was where we would talk to these people and they were they were so kind and they were friendly and a lot of them filled with a level of joy but I remember always wondering like do they have the same hope that we do that this city that is so beautiful we knew that there was also a very broken side to it as well and so that's, for me, like that, that really hit my heart and which kind of inspired me to be like, man, I, I think that we should come out here one day. And it was on actually that Legacy Sunday in 2017, right? Yeah, 2017, where we were praying and believing um, for God to do uh, something, amazing things, but just something. Man, we're like, God, we need you, we need you to do something. So we're just praying and believing about what what do you want us to do, God? And we are both felt that God told us to to give a, 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 an amount that was out of our means, actually. Like it, we had it, but it was kind of all that we had. We were even in a time where it was hard for us to just give normally to the church. Yeah. Like our giving, I felt like um, we were really reluctant in it just because we we're trying to be good stewards of what we had, that it was easy to say like, well, we need to keep for ourselves before giving away because we didn't really have much to give. I mean, the weeks leading up to it, we were just talking to Pastor Jason about about that, about being generous and what that looks like. And um, I remember really specifically him saying that God is more concerned about your obedience than anything else, that God doesn't necessarily care about the, the number per se, but he just wants you to be obedient to what he, he's telling you. And so right. we just, we felt that, Okay, God, we're going to be obedient to what we feel you're telling us, and and so and so we gave, and we said, God, let's let's just see what happens. I remember sitting in that in that Legacy Sunday service with the check in our um, our envelope. I mean, I remember us both sitting there and putting that in there. And I, I don't know about you, but I felt a little bit of both, like I guess a sense of relief. Like, okay, God, I'm just I'm just going to trust you, but at the same time, like being nervous, right? Like. Yeah, I mean, it was 
it, like I said, it was out of our means in a sense, and it was it was scary. But I had such a, a peace though when we did give that I was excited to see what that was going to do, and knowing that you know when we invested into the local church, knowing what Sozo was doing with that money and where it was going and how it was going to benefit our community, it made me excited and happy. Where even though you know, the days ahead, I was like, what were we thinking? Um, but to know that it was going to make such a difference in people's lives and that we could make that sacrifice and see God show off. For us, we look back at this Legacy Sunday and, you know, it was a big, um, it was the way we gave financially. Um, but for us, you know, there's been other seasons and times and even just in our everyday that Having a, a spirit of generosity is beyond just our finances, but yeah. it's it's the way that you serve, the way you give your time and your energy, and how um, we can invest in those things as well, because that makes such a huge difference. Yeah, and that's that's why we love Sozo because it's a place where we know that our investment of our time, our treasure, and our talent that it's being used for kingdom things. Mm -hmm. And that's why we believe in, in the heart of this church. That's why we believe in, in the vision of this church, because we know um, where our investment goes, where our generosity goes, it's being magnified and multiplied um, by the power of God. Mm -hmm. Come on, isn't that amazing? Come on, you clap your hands for the Fox family. Isn't that great? Thanks for listening. Join us each week here on the podcast or live in San Francisco. Keep up with life at Sozo by following at Sozo Church SF on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Have a great day.